we are not just a city, that we are more than just a community, that we're operating like a village. And in a village, each and every one of us is accountable, not only for our child or our children, but our children's friends and single parent moms, single parent dads, when we collectively stand together, locked in arms, there is no force or no energy that can stop us from molding and not even just molding, from creating bridges that allow kids and families to move out of generational poverty into economic wealth, 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 wealth. Peace, blessings, and elevation. Welcome to another episode of The Freeway to Elevation, where we have Felicia Harrell, educator extraordinaire, Harvard student, and transformation accelerator for young people. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you, thank you. Look, Felicia, before we dive into anything, um, I watch you in space and different venues have been truly amazed by your poise, your intellect, and the work you do for our community. Before we even dig into any of that, one question I want to ask you is, mm -hmm. what are two things that you are grateful for? I am grateful for life, definitely, because not everybody woke up this morning. And secondly, I'm grateful for my, um, my children and my grandchildren. I call I call my five adult children my Fab Five because they are like amazing, and then my four grandchildren children I call them the little people because they just they keep me going. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. When we talk uh, maturity and 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 that aging process, first of all, some of us never really age; we're timeless. But young people have a way of keeping us young through their enthusiasm, their energy, and their creativity and allowing us to tap back into our creativity. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, when I sit and I think of that, one question that I would love to ask you is, actually, before I ever ask that, let's do this. Can you give the audience just a general background of who you are, what you do, and how you got to this amazing space that some people may call work, but I'm sure for you, it's just alignment and purpose. Okay, sure. So I was born in West Helena, Arkansas, and I migrated to Michigan when I was three after the death of my mom. Never knew my father. Um, went through a lot of dysfunction growing up. It's, it's tough being a kid. Um, in a space where you feel like you're not wanted. And they made it clear that they didn't want me and my um, my brother and my sister there, seven of us all together. So I, I went through a lot growing up. Um, my, my journey here came with a, a huge struggle, but I don't regret anything. I'm, I'm okay now, I'm doing well. Now, I know I went through a lot of things because I think God knew I was gonna meet the kids that I work with now. So. Um, I'm happy where I'm at right now, but I struggled. The academic part didn't come right away. I struggled with reading um, because it was associated with some things I was experiencing, being molested at a young age. 
Um, and I just kind of connected that with, with something negative. So I didn't want to learn how to read. So once I got past that and I got into the middle school years, that's when things tried, uh, started to, to change for me. I started really enjoying school. I felt like school was my escape. And that's when I started to really excel academically. Um, got in high school, had some distractions and things like that as high school students do. Um, so I was doing sports and academics and dysfunction at home all mixed into one spot. Uh, was kind of crazy, but I got through it. But when the, the time in my life when I really started to blossom was during uh, undergrad. I chose to go to community college first because I just didn't have the help. I didn't have, know which way to go. My high school counselor told me I wasn't college material. Look at me now. <laughs> I got the last laugh. Um, but when I went to the community college, it was good for me. I got a chance to really kind of get grounded in what the expectations were um, in the standards that the professors had at a collegiate level. And then I went on to, um, I went to Delta College and then uh, I went to Saginaw Valley State University and that's when I really just kind of took off. So in between those times I worked and I raised my kids and then I waited till my youngest got, you know, pretty much was done with high school before I went back to uh, grad school. So I got a substitute to Purdue and that's when the beast was born. <laughs> Literally, it was like, that was the hardest program I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, outside of Harvard, but I'll talk about that. The, the professors had such high expectations of us. And it was so intense that they had mental health um, therapists. They were on call 24 hours for us if we started to feel overwhelmed. Um, but I did really well. I ended up graduating with honors, got it in, inducted into like three or four different honor societies. I just made up in my mind um, at that point in my education, some just kind of clicked for me. And I just, I wanted to, part of it was me having a chip on my shoulder, shoulders and to show people that I was going to be okay, that I was going to do, do well in life. And then I kept hearing the words of the high school counselor telling me that I wasn't college material. So it was like a chip on my shoulder to kind of show everybody that, you know, watch me, watch me work. And um, I did well, had 10 days off. I um, graduated from Purdue in August, this past August, had 10 days off and went right into my Harvard Kennedy program. Whew, wow, that is another whole different level of expectations of academic excellence because you are in classes with people that are from all over the world and I had never experienced that before so I experienced a little bit of imposter syndrome but the the people that were in my group that I worked with uh through Harvard Kennedy we build each other up so it ended up being okay so now you know I have a little break because I have some business things I'm putting in place but I'll be going back in the next three three months or so and I'm ready to just go all the way through and finish that program and uh, get into their PhD program and just set it off. So that's that's my academic journey. So when I sit here, first of all, let's go into reverse just for a second. Mm -hmm. You spoke about a lot of challenges, barriers, uh, roadblocks, mm -hmm. which is what some may call it. But what I'm hearing as I hear you speak 
for you, they were opportunities for you to demonstrate how powerfully gifted you were and are and continuing on this path. At what point was there a defining moment that said, no longer am I going to have to worry about the imposter syndrome, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I want you to talk about that defining moment that really catapulted you, catapulted you into the stratosphere where you belong. It started kind of, I had like little mustard seeds planted early on in high school. And it was really, it started with my two of my teachers. Um, I really love mathematics because that was escape for me. So when I was going through all those things at a younger age, I would draw all the time. So my one of my undergraduates is in graphic design. And then I love mathematics. So the more complicated the, the problem was, the more you know, intrigued I became. So it started with my uh, high school math teacher. He just thought I was the smartest kid he's, he'd ever uh, met. It was kind of funny. And that just goes to show you that um, teachers have influence over us and they can speak life into us. So it started with him. And then I had a, a biology teacher. He convinced me to take the advanced biology class. I'm like, dude, I barely passed the regular. I mean, I got like a C, but he saw something in me and I, I took his word for it and I, I signed up for the class and I did better in the advanced class than I did in the regular class. So that's where it started. But I think once I, I, I got accepted into Purdue, that's when things really, really changed for me because it's a, they have a very rigorous program. My master's is in educational psychology. So it's not just the normal um, list of classes you would take. You had neuropsychology and all types of things that people going into the medical field have to take. And it was intimidating at first because it's like, I didn't sign up for science classes. I'm doing psychology. So I had a bit of a attitude about it, but you know, I had to get over myself and just realize um, I'm here to, to get the job done. I had a, um, an advisor because I had three different advisors through Purdue and uh, he would check in on me. And after my second class, he asked me how things are going. And I just started laughing. I'm like, this is crazy. It's like, well, you do realize you go to Purdue. They really hold that in very high esteem and they, they expect you to perform. Then one of my um, my classes, one of my neuropsychology professors, he was, we were in uh, orientation for the class and uh, he was just going over some things and the syllabus and stuff. And then uh, we were asking him about the tests and quizzes. And he said, he expects us to get 100% on every test that we take in his class. I'm like, wow, this dude tripping, you know, in, my, in the back of my head, but they set the standard of what they expected us to, it, the a level of achievement. So that was a turning point for me. Just people expected me to do well. And then I wanted to do well because I'm first gen. My parents didn't finish college. So you have that pressure of being a first gen student and just to just um, show myself that I can do it. So first gen. And mm -hmm. one of the things I immediately think of is like engineers and re-engineering thought processes. And you spoke to one of your teachers in high school. So teacher, a teacher's job is to help provide hope and inspiration and to teach. So if that's the case, 
Shame on that teacher who told you you weren't college material because obviously he wasn't teaching material because not only are you college material, but you went to Purdue and you are going through one of the most prestigious schools in the United States, probably the world, in Harvard. So let's talk about how did it one. First, I'm going to stack the question a little bit so you can answer the first one, which was, how did it feel when he told you he wasn't college material? And then the second part of it is, what level of motivation did it provide you when he told you what you weren't when you know you were? Well, actually, at the time, I didn't know that I was at the time. So when he told me that, I felt it was actually a high school counselor. And um, I felt really bad. I felt the lowest of the low. Like, you know, I had already experienced a lot of dysfunction growing up, not having my parents, living in a household where I wasn't wanted. Um, they just tolerated me and my siblings being there. And um, just going home to, you know, no electricity, no running water, just was going through it. And, you know, I told you for middle school, that was school was like my escape. So getting into high school, and having somebody telling you that you're already going through a lot, I felt low, I felt like nothing. Um, I wasn't motivated after that, but it's just going back to those two teachers, they just kept pouring into me, pouring into me. And they made me, it's like they reversed what he said to me. They saw something in me that he didn't. So that's what motivated me, those two teachers, um, Mr. Whitney and Mr. Case. I still remember their names. <laughs> I Shout out to Mr. Whitney and Mr. Case. Yes. <laughs> and, look, and what's funny is, uh, however long ago that was, you still light up when you just said those two names. Oh, and so yeah. that's the power that teachers hold when they're able to really connect with their students, help provide a sense of confidence, and then do their jobs in terms of making sure you connect them to the resources so that they flourish into the flower that they're supposed to be. And so I'm yes. extremely grateful because what they provided you has then blossomed into what you do with young people today mm -hmm. in the midst of going through a rigorous program at Harvard. So yes. That in itself is powerful. So can you talk to me a little bit about the, the imposter syndrome that you was just talking about? So I started experiencing imposter syndrome when I first got into Purdue, because it's like, wow, I, I couldn't believe I actually got in. It was, <laughs> it was kind of funny. But um, just the, um, the amount of reading that we had to do, which I read well now, but you know, my mind went back to that elementary kid that couldn't read. So it's just, it would haunt me every now and then and kind of making me feel like I couldn't do it. And um, so it was the rigor of all the reading, the assignments, um, going through my, my program, there was a period where I had surgery because I had a tumor. So I got behind my classes. So that took a lot out of me, but, um, it was just really the, the workload was like bananas. It was a lot. And it's like, am I really supposed to be here? This stuff is, I don't call it hard. I call it challenging. So I got mm -hmm. past 
end up doing well. And what happened is uh, a turning point during that stage was when I got into like my third, my third term with Purdue and my advisor, he called me every time to, you know, do a wellness check. And he saw that I was consistently doing really well. And after that, he called, started calling me like every other week just to check on me. And at the time I was a full-time college advisor. I was running a full-time business and going to school full-time. So I had a lot on my plate, but I was just determined to do well. So that was one of the times. And then, of course, when I started my um, Harvard Kennedy program, I really, really experienced it all over again because there were like 250, no, 280 people in our class. Mm -hmm. And we were into 56 different groups and we had groups of five. And my group met on Saturdays and it was all men. I was the only female. And these people were like big time folks. I had one that um, he lived in Nicaragua and he does trade talks with China. I mean, these was like some, these are not your average people that you just gonna meet. And then another one he did, um, he researched and, and surveyed different projects in Ghana. So they were some high level men and I'm the only female. But what the way I got out of that, or I got, I overcame it was just working hard and it was them. They poured into me. They was like, you know, we are in this together. We would email each other, check in on each other, uh, communicate through WhatsApp. So it was, it was really them that helped me get through that. And there's just me just reminding myself of who I am and the fact that I got accepted into the program and what I came there to do. Look, so when we talk um, imposter syndrome, especially, you know, going from Purdue to Harvard. And so at Harvard, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. It's a, a woman by the name of Amy Cuddy. You familiar with that name? I've heard the name, yeah. So she's a social psychologist and she had this thing. She had, she was very, she was excelling in high school. She had some type of uh, brain injury and um, so all the things cognitively that she had previously had shifted as a result. And she had this concept called fake it till you make it, right? And that's what she had to do because she didn't feel like she belonged. And uh, I'm gonna say, where did she go to uh, school at? Um, she also was the person who turned the, the power posing um, self-improvement techniques and those different things. She And she was on staff at Harvard to about, I think, 2017 mm -hmm. um, in their business school. Powerful um, woman. And so I only bring that up because many times, as you talk imposter syndrome, we have to actually go through the motions of faking it till we make it. And um, when, when I hear you speak, the fact that you questioned certain things previously is not apparent anymore. And uh, <laughs> that level of confidence is something that is very empowering for anybody who's in your sphere of influence or anybody who's in proximity of you, either physical proximity or virtual space with you. And it has a way of having an epigenetic impact on those who are around you. And that's not just a learned skill. That is you operating in alignment with who you were, who you are, and who you are intended 
to serve and help. So in this moment, I just want to take a minute to celebrate Felicia because what you do is extremely important and powerful, and it will only help not only the people that you will see it help, but those who they will help. And, and, and I'm just super grateful for everything that you are doing right now in this moment. And thank I just you. wanted to take a second and just sit with that. Thank you. Thank you. Nah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So um, it's like really it's 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 hard to explain it's just something just clicks in your head and you just you know really just give your all and that's that's i can't think of a better way to express it or to explain it other than saying it's like an awakening you become an intellectual powerhouse unstoppable dangerous in a good way and, and that's gotta be one of the greatest feelings in the world because mm -hmm. when you help empower people to understand that their potential is infinite and that they have the skills and skill sets. And I'm not gonna go into your stories or how you mm. get into those young men who are playing AAU basketball. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> form the way they think, but we are going to get into that, right? Um, because this is part of what you do. I know we have this formal process of what you do, but every space that you're in, you have impact. And so I don't even think I could give you a title, Felicia. Uh, <laughs> I think you are just a, again, as I, I termed it earlier, you're a transformation accelerator who elevates humanity just by being you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you're welcome. And so let talk to me a little bit about how you've helped with, with, with your kids and your grandkids. Okay, so my children, I I was <laughs> I was a tiger mom. I wasn't buying it. I mean, you know, <laughs> things happen, you end up being a single parent. I didn't, I didn't like let it stop me it kind of propelled me because now they're depending on me solely to, to be what they need me to be. So I was never in the military, but you th would have thought I was because I was just very structured, very organized. Um, everything had to be done with precision. Uh, I had a lot on my plate, raising the kids, working. And then at some point I was going to school at night a couple of times a week, but they knew what my expectations were. And um, I wasn't backing down. So my kids, and my boys, you know, all of them were, like, were a lot bigger than me, but it didn't matter because all I had to do was look at them. And they knew that, okay, let me get myself together. Um, I would tell them that you guys are heralds and our name means something. So when you're acting a certain way in public, at school, it's a reflection on me. And if you make me look bad, that's, that's not good for you so I always instilled in them uh, you know just working hard academic excellence and I tried to pave the way fast forward to the little people that's what I call my grandkids same thing I have a um 11 month old granddaughter and I'm teaching her communication skills so at first she didn't understand what I was doing but I would talk for a couple of seconds and I would be quiet and look at her and after a while she caught on oh it's my time to talk 
So she would say something, of course, I understand what she said. So she's learning language skills. When I talk to her, I don't talk baby talk. I might talk at a high pitch voice, you know, to get her attention, but not baby talk because that causes speech impediments. That's what happened to me. But um, just communicating with her, she's learning several words. She knows how to hold a pencil. Um, she's understanding what things mean like, mean like she was with me, she was with me on Mondays and Wednesdays, but the whole family got COVID, so I can't see her right now. But the last time she was with me, she wasn't herself. And we didn't do our regular stuff that we normally do. And I simply asked the question, are you okay? And she shook her head and said, no. So her understanding what that means and when to say that was just, it, it's amazing. Now, when her dad tells her to do something, my son-in-law, she says, no, they look at me like, well, you taught her how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. But, um, you know, the grandkids are doing well. They're all doing good academically. The main one I'm really focusing on though, is my, um, my grandson is in the fifth grade. He started playing basketball in second grade and, you know, I would go and support him, but now he's fifth grade and I see that he's serious. He wants to go to Michigan State. So I picked him up last weekend. We, I took him out to the college. He had a project to do. So I picked him up and I was like, you know what? We're not going to be at the house. Let's go out to the college because I want him to be in that atmosphere. I want him to experience what that looks like. Yes, grandma will be at your games on Saturday morning. I'm going to watch you ball out. But Sunday afternoon, this is Super Bowl Sunday now, we were out at the college working on his project and he just ate it up. We walked around for a little while. It wasn't real crowded or anything. And he said, is this how it's gonna be in college? I'm like, yes, you have to learn how to balance between your sports and your academics. You know, college coaches, they've gotten away from you just coming to the schools because you're talented. You have to be able to maintain academically as well. So he's fifth grade, he's serious about the sport. So I'm working on the academic side. So just being there to support them and just um, to be that example. And see, I did varsity track, I coached varsity sports. So he has grandma, he has a, a, a Harvard uh, student, he has a Purdue grad. He has a, a formal varsity coach. He has it all wrapped up into one thing and a college advisor. So he's really enjoying it. We communicate back and forth. Actually, he has a project he has to send me tomorrow because he can't turn it in until I look it over and I approve it. So yeah, that's where I'm at with, with my family and as far as that, um, how I raised them and how important education is in our household. It's like creating a legacy of excellence. So I'm not gonna let you slide by this because I need the audience to to, to recognize this. So when you said you was a um a coach, right? Mm -hmm. What was your what was your record? I did. Uh, I coached uh, middle school boys track. So mm -hmm. my boys did well. I'm I'm so excited for them because you know they're grown now and they have good jobs. One went into psychology because. He, he enjoyed my silence. I, I taught uh, AP psychology in high school. So he went into that and now he's a clinical therapist. Wow. And I met the kid when he was in the sixth grade. So I coached um, boys track, middle school boys track, and uh, we were undefeated. Our four by one. The so, whole, so rewind that again, because that was, the I whole, wanted them to hear that, that y'all was the what? Whole, the 
the whole 10 years I coached boys track in middle school, we were undefeated. Our four by one relay team was undefeated, never lost. Never lost. And the thing about it, the kids wanted me, the boys wanted me to transition into high school coaching. But, you know, my aunt had to consider my own kids. When you get into high school coaching, that's a whole different thing with traveling and things. And my, my family means a lot to me. So, you know, I declined it at the time. I did varsity sports, music, varsity competitive dance team. Um, I didn't really, that was like a little bit different than track. You know, you have invitationals and different meets. You travel a lot. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that to my family. So I didn't follow the boys onto it, but everybody knew who Harold's, what well, they call them Harold's boys. And the uh, all male coaches, I was the only female coach, uh, coaching boys track at the time. They nicknamed me a pit bull because I didn't back down from nothing. Just the tiniest thing there and just... <laughs> dangerous <laughs> that's a warrior in you um, <laughs> look so so I, I wanted to make sure they was aware of that but as we move from your kids mm. and again I I made sure I told the audience that not only did you focus on your kids but you challenged their friends as well and you told them that look it's not enough for you just to be good at a sport in order to play the sport, you have to be able to be able to play, and that's going to require you to excel and do well academically. And mm -hmm. with your challenge, they accepted your challenge. Now, you have a very different approach. Talk to us about how you're able to inspire kids and treat young people to be able to tap into themselves and give the best version of themselves that they didn't know they had. Oh, that that's easy. Um, when I meet a group of kids, like I think back to when I was a, a site coordinator for an after school program, the kids would come down, they would uh, eat dinner and then they would separate. It was sixth, seventh, eighth grade. They would separate and um, go to their homework areas. And then after that, they would go through tutoring and then enrichment. And what I did, um, I let them in. I told them about me, how I was raised. Cause a lot of times they look at us like, one of the kids asked me, what's your zip code? What? <laughs> she felt like I was rich and I didn't have a clue about nothing. So that is, that is an invitation for me to share things that I experienced, let them know that this is how my life was. I mean, I couldn't go into real deep detail, but they know a lot about me and they respected that. It's like life was hard for me, but I just had that chip on my shoulder. And then when I was running that after school program, cause that's a group of kids I really got really close to. A lot of them have graduated from college. So I always think back to them. I, I just smile and I think about it cause they were like monsters from monster land, but we turned that thing around. But it's a matter of, letting them in, telling them your story and just being human. So I would get to work early and uh, communicate with the teachers if they had assignments missing, they couldn't go to there because we had ballroom dancing, we had karate, all types of enrichment. And if you messed up, you had to stay in the cafeteria with Miss H. You just weren't going to that stuff and they hated it, you know? So I said, in order for you to be able to go to that, you got to get these grades up. So, you know, a lot of kids turned around and then, there were times they got on my staff nerves. I'm very 
transparent. <laughs> and I would just say, you know what? Let's go in the gym. Let's play dodgeball. And it wasn't about, it was about the kids having fun, but it was a chance for me and my staff to get back at the kids for acting up, you know, during the day, during the program. And they loved it. I mean, we would just laugh and have fun together. You know, they, they you know, kept saying, they always challenged me. You know, you can't play basketball because I can't play. So I would have on my suit. I'll go put on my, my gym shoes and go in the gym like, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> we would play basketball and they discovered that I actually knew how to play. So it's just getting to know the kids, letting them in, telling them about your life experiences and why um, you push them so hard because you want them to have a good life. You know, education is important. If you don't want to go to college, there's military, you know, um, there's entrepreneurship, but you still have to take a certain amount of business courses and things like that. And just letting them know that you just got to find your niche and whatever it is, I will support you. So the bottom line is that I open my heart to them and they open their heart to me and that, that, um, that relationship just blossomed. When they know you care, it ain't nothing they won't do for you. It's amazing that we're on this topic and uh, we've talked about high achievement, excellence, and yet it's not just the focus on academics first. What you shared, and shout out because this is Black History Month and Black History is 365 for me anyway, but I yeah. will not stop without saying and highlighting what you just said. People don't care about what you say. They don't care about what you do. All they care about is how you make them feel. And mm -hmm. then the other part to that is <laughs> people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. Quotation marks to the great ancestor, um, Maya Angelou, right? And mm -hmm. that's what you exemplified. You're, you're moving and helping them with academics and that left brain thinking, but more importantly, you're teaching them one of the most valuable skills that we can teach anybody, which is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. you know, understanding how important it is to have mastery of self, regulate your emotions, but more importantly, how do I be able to identify and pick up on any cues that Ms. Harold um, um, positions? and then leverage that to motivate a group of people, which is leadership, right? And, and, and those kids responding. So I want you to do me a favor and talk a little bit about your college readiness programs. Okay, the college readiness. Um, when I did the, the after school program, we had so many successes and it wasn't just me alone. It was like my whole staff. So some of those things, once you know the, we, the grant ended, and it's sad because once students start doing well, they, you don't get the grant back because it's, it's for students, you know, in districts that are not doing so well. But some of the ideas I implemented within that program, I decided to start my own business and it's, it's college readiness. So we do uh, test prep. We do um, college branding. So what that is, is that kind of getting the, the students ready for the whole process anywhere from picking your, your colleges, you know, your REACH schools, your MATCH schools, your safety schools, uh, teaching them about what is expected, uh, helping them to see themselves from a holistic standpoint, because some of these schools that the students are applying to, 
everybody is going to have a good GPA. Everybody's going to have a good SAT score. So what makes you stand out? So that's where the branding part comes in at. So we work, we help them with their, um, their college admissions essays, their supplemental essays, any type of college interviews they have. We set up a Zoom meeting just like this. I choose, I help them choose where they're gonna sit at in their home. <laughs> what does the background look like when I look at it if I'm the college admissions rep that's interviewing you? Uh, we talk about what they should wear, um, their, their voice. I give them practice questions. We do it all and then scholarship search. So I have that. So I have different levels. I have uh, just started an elementary road to collegiate sports. So that's fourth and fifth, well, fifth and sixth grade uh, students that want to play college ball, but I want, it, I want them to see the academic end of it. And then I have a second cohort, a, a separate cohort for seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, because those grades have to be individual because they have individual different needs. And then I have 10th through 12th grade. So some of the students are doing the traditional road to college program. And then the other ones are doing the road to collegiate sports because we have to talk about recruit the recruiting process and social emotional. Uh, we talk about how they conduct themselves during the game. Uh, talk about not taunting the other players when you're on the, the floor playing basketball because the college coaches don't want you bringing that that energy to their programs. Mm -hmm. And we even get it down, go down to what you look like when you're sitting on the bench, when the coach pulls you out. Do you have an attitude? Do you kick something over? Because I've seen it all, you know, coaching sports. So those are some of the programs that we have. And uh, we're heavy, heavy, heavy on the scholarship part. As of today, we've I've probably clocked in the last five years about close to $25 million in scholarships we've earned collectively since I started this whole process. So back up and say that one more time for them. 20, $25 million in scholarship offers. I had one student, he uh, was getting recruited by West Virginia and uh, they were waiting for him to get a score up. This was a couple of years ago. He got the score up. He ended up getting $2.5 million in scholarship offers. And that's like 15 different schools that was recruiting him. And all of those recruiters, all those coaches were waiting for him to get that score up. And he got his score up. 2.5 million, that's one student playing football. Well, look, so so one of the things that I find very, not only intriguing, but amazing is that this, you shared that you was first generation. Mm -hmm. Many of these young people are also first generation. So they wouldn't know how to navigate that process had it not yeah. been for you. And so you've taken your journey what you learned and lessen the curve for each and every student that you're working with. And I'm not going to talk about it, but I know you do so much more than that in terms of helping them along in this journey. I liken you to water because see water is one of the most powerful elements. It can go over, it can go under, it can go around, and if it needs to, it can go right through any obstacle. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing capability. And we all know water can turn into um, a gas, or it can be a solid, and then it can be as liquid as it needs to be. That's mm -hmm. what you are for these students. Um, 
And so I, I just want to make sure any adult or any young person who out here who's watching, you need to tell your parents when you're ready to go down that path or pathway, if you need help or understanding, look no further because this young lady right here is one of the most amazing people who can help you navigate that process. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And then you also, see, she's a hidden gem in talent. <laughs> she also does a podcast as well. Tell me the <laughs> name of your podcast. Okay. So um, I thought about, I was, I was on the path of writing a book and I was in one of, uh, one of the sessions on Clubhouse and they talked about podcasts and I hadn't thought about it before. Um, I'm a very different kind of person. I look different. I act different. My voice is different. I'm just different. And, um, you know, I kept thinking about it and they really encouraged me. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. What would I call this? So I, I had a couple of different names. And once I got to this one particular name, I said, that's it. The Obscure Scholar. Because I'm, I'm a hidden intellectual. People don't know and this, you know, we're communicating through, you know, your podcast and your episode, but people have no idea the level of my intellect. And I don't talk about it a lot, but it comes out, you know, in different venues that, I, that I'm in. So I decided to call myself the Obscure Scholars. So that's what I changed my name to on um, Instagram. And that's the name of my, my podcast. So with the podcast, I'm spending the first... Mm, maybe 10 to 15, maybe 20 episodes. It depends on how it goes. I'm introducing my audience to me. So it's letters that I wrote to my younger self that I'm reading to the audience. And um, um, it's very, very practical. It's very transparent. My target audience are students. So I didn't want it to be so structured, so you know, scholarly because they need practical stuff. So that's why when you listen to it, you're like, wow, it's like she's talking to herself, which is exactly what it feels like. And I'm enjoying it. So each letter, I, I uh, introduce a different stage in my life. And I talk about what was going on. It's like me warning my younger self about what's going to happen to her. And at the same time, let her know that it's going to be okay. You know, I try to do that at the end of each podcast. And as things go on, it's going to get you know, more and more intriguing. It's going to get better and better. I wanted the students to take that journey with me of where I started and how did I get to where I'm at now. That's important before I get into the other topics that are team-related topics because they need to know who I am and how did I get to this place. So by me reading my very, very um, emotional letters to my younger self, it just opens me up to them and helps them to understand me as a person. And I know it's giving them hope because I'm getting a lot of feedback from the kids that listen, listen to it. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this and didn't really know what to expect. But there are also adults that um, one lady, she wrote me, she said, did you post yet? It's like two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, it's, it's coming. I try to, you know, I try to record and have it posted before they wake up on Monday morning so they can listen. And it's literally only three to five minutes because teenagers' attention spans are, I can't go a long time for them with them because that wouldn't work. But I'm getting a lot of, uh, receiving a lot of good feedback. But it starts with the letters, then I'll go on to different topics and they get to write me and tell me 
what topics they want to talk about. Like they've already mentioned imposter syndrome because we have a lot of first generation, you know, inner city students that are about to go away to college in the fall. So we'll talk about that. We talk about body dysmorphia. You know, the girls mentioned that because they have a lot of issues with just uh, self-esteem and, and image and, and just being content with who they are. So it'll just kind of evolve into topics that they want to talk about. Of course, we'll talk about uh, college readiness. We'll talk about scholarships and things like that. So that's that's the um, kind of like the backstory to where the podcast came from. And it's a segue into my book because I am writing a book. The book will include the letters but it'll go a little bit more in depth it's like a case study of myself and it'll um, talk about Eric Erickson's stages of development it'll talk about the inner self the outer self and all those things dig a little bit deeper into it um, so that'll be released um, probably about the end of 2022 maybe sooner I decided to illustrate my own book because my, my background is graphic design so it's going to take a little longer but I'm excited about it and so, so you you done went down the path I was going to have you go, so that's good. What about any merchandise you got on the horizon? Yep, the merch is coming. So I um I have brand ambassadors, and it's my former, former students that I have. They go to a variety of different colleges. So it'll just be very simple. It's, it's just going to be obscure scholar, hidden intellectual, very simple, um, black shirts, white uh, lettering. And those will be ready probably within the next couple of weeks. So okay. anybody that wants to order any shirts, you can uh, find me on Facebook, Felicia M. Harrell. You can find me on Instagram, uh, that's Obscure Scholar, Clubhouse, Felicia M. Harrell. So any one of those venues, you can find me. And uh, once the merch is ready, I'll start posting it so people can see it and get the orders going. So how do they find you on uh LinkedIn. LinkedIn is Felicia M. Harrell on LinkedIn. Okay. Yep, I'm on there too. So any any one of those different platforms you can find me on. DM me, um, you know, send me a message. Uh, if you have some ideas of podcast topics or just have some general questions about anything, feel free to reach out. Now, one thing I want to make sure we, we provide for the audience what would be your suggestions and uh, some quick points on how, if you have a young person there in school and we're looking at scholarships, how would you advise them? Okay, so with the scholarships, a lot of people don't realize, but um, there are a couple of different avenues you can take. First of all, you can start earning scholarships when you're in elementary. So there's a young lady that I connected with on uh on a clubhouse and we were kind of discussing some things. There's also a website that I, I ran across and I don't know the name of it. So anybody that's interested in scholarships for your younger kids, reach out to me and I can send you the link um, so you can start looking at it. But kids can, students can start applying for scholarships as early as the, the third grade. There's one young man she posted who um, has already earned three scholarships and they can apply for them now. And of course, they'll be they'll save them until they are actually getting ready to go to college. But um, the bulk of the scholarships that most students are going to be awarded is going to come when they get accepted into the college. 
okay? The colleges will automatically award, like I'm in Michigan. So students that have really good high GPAs that get accepted into uh, the University of Michigan or Michigan State, they automatically are gonna get the Spartan Advantage. That's pretty much a full ride. They're automatically gonna get the Go Blue Guarantee. That's automatic, that's pretty much a full ride. So it's just knowing what is already available that your child is automatically gonna be awarded. The first line of the next line of defense is actually looking at the scholarship that uh, for the colleges that your, your child is applying to. They have a ton of scholarships that you can apply to like um, Grand Valley. All you have to do is submit one scholarship and it shoots your name and your information out to 200 different scholarship opportunities. Those are things that parents are just not aware, you know, aware of. So that's a good way to look at things and um, look for like the big ticket scholarships like Kellogg's always has a good one. Uh, Bill Gates, he has a good scholarships full ride. And the thing about those scholarships it's not just undergrad, those follow you all the way to your PhD. So those are some tips. And of course, uh, UNCF, they always have good scholarships that students can apply for. But the main thing before you even get into that process, a lot of people think that your GPA, your test scores don't matter. If it's a student whose parents make um, are low income, they're gonna get need-based and those are pretty hefty scholarships. But on the flip side, if it's students whose parents, you know, make a good income and they don't qualify for need-based, that's why, that's one of the reasons why your GPA and your SAT score does matter. You know, a lot of schools are going test optional and people just think, okay, they don't have to do the SAT anymore. That is not true. Um, if you want to get the very high ticket merit-based scholarships that are based on your GPA and your test scores, your SAT and ACT score, you have to make sure you maintain both. You earn a good score, maintain that GPA so you can go after those. Now merit-based, a lot of those you'll automatically get awarded, but the, the, the full rides you have to apply for. So you gotta make sure, you're, make sure that you're in a position academically to be awarded those things. Um, there's usually an uh, essay you have to write for the big ticket items, and there's usually some type of competition, you know, you have to be interviewed for it. So for parents that are looking to go that route, as far as preparing their kids for the scholarship interviews, I also do that as well, um, because I know what those interviewers are going to ask you. You've got a very good idea because there's a network of about 300 of us that are uh, independent educational consultants. So we talk about those things. We help each other out with those things. So yeah, that's what, um, that's the scholarship, the information for scholarships. And the money is out there. And the sad part about it is that millions of dollars go unclaimed or unearned or not awarded because the kids don't apply for them. So it is a process. I have 40 students enrolled in my Road to College um, program right now, Academic Study Hall, and we've had those conversations. Um, and my, my scholars are, they reside in, you know, all over the world. I've gone global. I'm just so excited that I expanded that far out just from updating my information on LinkedIn, it just took off. But I always tell the students that your grades count, your grades matter uh, to maintain that and to just um, to go for it. 
you know, there are no limits if you work hard. So that's why I push them to, I do like uh, check-ins with them to make sure that they're doing okay. My students from India yesterday, I did a wellness check with her. We were supposed to go over essay, but I, I read my, my scholars to see what they need. We did a wellness check us. They're in some pretty uh, high profile programs. I have one that's doing a Harvard program. The one from India, she's doing a Yale research program where she's working with Yale professors. Another one got accepted into uh, Cornell. Um, it's like agriculture program. So they have a lot of things going on. And that's another thing, um, Kelly, it's so important that whether you're inner city or suburban or wherever you're from, you get involved with programs, internships while you're in high school and you, um, participate in summer programs or internships. And the thing about it, a lot of them are online now. So there's no excuse. There was a young lady that um, signed up for an internship with Michigan State, it was medical. She got paid $3,000 for participating and it was research. I mean, it, these are not just some cutesy programs. These are some major things that are directly connected to the kids majors in their career pathway. So that's another avenue for being awarded those scholarships because the more you have on your, um, your, your college resume, the more you have on your common app activities list, the more marketable you become because they're not just gonna give the money to anybody. They wanna know, okay, what are you gonna use this money for? You know, it's like, it, it's like an investment and they wanna know that they're gonna get a good return on their investment if you are awarded that full ride scholarship. Look, you just power packed a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, valuable information for any parent or young person who's listening. So what's next on the horizon for you? And can you give me like two actionable steps that, that parents or young people can take to move on their pathway to, to liberation? So the next step for me, well, I'll tell you the two steps that the parents can take. As far as that, well, I wanna to speak to the kids. Mm -hmm. Make sure your, your, your kids keep their grades up. That's the first line of defense. If there's anything that's hindering their process or their progress, address it. So if it means them going to therapy, because sometimes we were just talking about that early today, the conversation I was having with some colleagues, um, you gotta, students are looked at in a holistic um, viewpoint. And that's the way we have to look at our kids. So I can't expect my, my, my children to do well if I don't have food at home for them to eat. Mm -hmm. Can't expect them to do well if uh, they have anxiety about COVID and they're afraid to go to school. Or just, you have to address other parts of the kids before you can expect them to do well. So sometimes if you find that your child isn't doing well in school, you have to get down to the root of what that problem is to help them do better. So a couple of steps I would do, I would give to the parents is to um, be aware of what your, your children are going through and what their needs are. And you have to address them. You can't overlook anything. I totally get what it's like to be a parent, whether it's a single parent or a two parent household or all that. Either way it goes, it's, it's stressful. But at the end of the day, we have to 
be uh, aware of our children and what their needs are and address their needs. And the second thing is to really, really make sure that they keep their grades up. So if that mm -hmm. means you get a tutor for them, talking to the teacher. Um, sometimes the subject might just be hard for a student and I get that, um, but just communicating with the teachers about, cause this is one thing for me being in the classroom, me being a teacher, if I have a student coming to me, asking me for help, that's struggling in my class. If I have a parent coming to me, telling me, ask me what can uh, we do collectively as a team to help their child, you got my attention. So those types of things matter. Uh, and then students have to learn how to advocate for themselves. If you give your all in your class, in that class, and you're still struggling, ask for extra credit, you know, teach them how to communicate with the teacher. So um, helping, being aware of what your children's needs are and addressing them and making sure they keep their grades up because down the road, that's going to matter, especially if they want to go to college. And even in the military, you still have to take the ASVAP before you can get into the military. So, you know, you can't just throw the academic part out because, well, I'm just going to the military. Well, you know what? You have to score uh, a 30 on the ASVAP to get in certain branches. So yeah, you're still not getting out of it. And as far as what next for me, I am like in a season of preparation. I'm just so excited about what I had to address and deal with. Now I feel ready. Um, I feel motivated. I feel empowered. So right now is me preparing for different um, presentations. I have one coming up next weekend. Uh, I'm doing a, a, it's a global mathematics symposium and I'll be representing the United States. So I have to record myself tomorrow because my video is due tomorrow. Um, I'm too tired to do it tonight, and I want to make sure I'm fresh and do my hair and everything. But anyway, um, I'm the only African-American that's going to be representing the United States. And this is my second time doing this, but uh, one of my colleagues asked me if I was interested in. So I'll be talking about the work I'm doing in mathematics. So remember, I told you I like math. Yep. Didn't major in it, but, you know, I can do it. I'm really good at it. But right now I'm working with a third grader and I can tell you his name. I'm so proud of him. His mom's like, yeah, you can say his name. His name is Dylan. He's a third grader and he's learning algebra. And I'm using a certain product that one of my colleagues developed to teach him um, the foundational skills of, of algebra. And he's, he's getting it. So I'll report myself tomorrow and kind of talk about that. So that's next weekend it's called theories of theories of constraints uh, for education so it's uh, uh educators from all over the world i'm the only one from the united states they're from the netherlands some of the top performing countries in the world will be there presenting about mathematics so that's next weekend i'll be presenting with uh jack and jill the jack and jill organization of michigan um and i'll be talking about what else college readiness scholarships and things like that they have a uh, breakout rooms one room will be about hbcus and i'll be presenting about uh test prep and then also the ivy leagues because you know our our people <laughs> run away from the ivies and that's the craziest thing let me say this and i'll finish up do not run away from the ivy leagues it, it doesn't even matter what your income is if your child gets accepted into an ivy league Harvard, Princeton, Yale, any of those schools, they're going to take care of them because they want them there. People don't think that they do, but they do. 
if it's a, a inner city student that doesn't have money, when they get there, they get a check, a $1,500 check to go and get everything for their dorms. Stanford does the same thing because I took a trip out there in 2018 and I was just blown away. So I think we need to understand what the Ivies do have to offer. And to me, at the end of the day, let the child kind of choose what works best for them. But please start running away from the Ivy Leagues because they will take care of those kids. Their whole thing is, as far as financial aid, they want you to graduate debt free. So they don't even offer you scholarships. People don't know that, but they don't. They get all scholarships. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't offer you loans, student loans. It's all scholarships and grants. So that's something that uh, people need to keep in mind. But I'll be presenting to Jack and Jill in March. And then I have a second uh, mathematics symposium coming up in April. And I'm gradually getting back into my speaking um, engagements. I did a presentation. All this stuff was in 2018. I was really busy then for foster care youth because only 3% of foster care kids go to college. So that's what my target audience to just really just dive in and see what I can do on a national scale to kind of help foster care youth that are aging out, you know, kind of sort things out and get them uh, a little bit more motivated to go to college. There's all types of money out there for foster care kids. They, yeah. They're just aware of it, but that's where I'm headed next. And of course, working on my book, uh, that'll be coming out mm, within the next six months or so. And then I'll probably do a book tour and um, yeah. And then of course, Harvard Kennedy, that's gonna start back up again. So I'm probably gonna disappear because that's a lot of work. <laughs> Studying and writing papers and group projects and group presentations. So that is where I'm at. And of course, just continue to, to grow the uh, test prep and college readiness business. Um, just excited about just life in general. Wow. Y'all heard it. So what we're going to call you from this day forward is Dr. Felicia. Thank you. It's coming. Woo! Oh, yeah. We're speaking into existence. Somebody called me. That is a game. I went to one of the high school games a couple of weeks ago. So I haven't been to a basketball game in two years. And one of my former colleagues walked up and said, how you doing, Dr. Harold? And that just did something to me. I mm -hmm. got chills. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. So look, yeah. I want to I want to formally do this. So so each and every person out here, no matter if you're in the United States, if you're in Michigan, if you're in Pennsylvania, New York, the West Coast, California, Seattle, Washington, um, or abroad, we want to thank Dr. Felicia Harold for the amazing work she's doing with our young people. What we have to remember is hope is one of the most powerful things that we can provide young people or adults. And she mm -hmm. provides hope on a daily basis. She provides resources, support, structure, focus, intentionality. And yes, she's also grateful and down to earth. So thank you, thank you, thank you for blessing the Freeway to Elevation podcast today. And I am looking forward to hearing all the powerful things that you continue to do. And with that, we say bye to the audience and we will catch you on the next one. Any parting words from you, Dr. Harold? You guys are amazing. I'm speaking directly to the youth out there. 
there is nothing that can stop you from achieving anything, any goal that you set for yourself. If you really want to achieve it, you are amazing. You are unstoppable. You are academic powerhouses. So if there's anything that I can do to help birth that in you, reach out and I will be more than happy to have a conversation with you. Um, even if it's just you getting on the right path and trying to understand uh, where to go from where you're at now. So I wish all of you well, and I hope to see some of you soon. Y'all heard it. You are the choreographer. You are the composer. You are the director. You are the, the professor. And you are your greatest thoughts. Dream big. Understand that the sky's not the limit. The sky's the foundation for you to catapult into the stratosphere to wherever you want to go. Yes. We know that you can do it, and we're looking forward to seeing you on the back end. We are not just a city, that we are more than just a community, that we're operating like a village. And in a village, each and every one of us is accountable, not only for our child or our children, but our children's friends and single parent moms, single parent dads, when we collectively stand together, locked in arms, there's no force or no energy that can stop us from molding and not even just molding, from creating bridges that allow kids and families to move out of generational poverty into economic wealth, 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 wealth.